Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. gentlemen boys and girls welcome back to basketball conference the acc football podcast my name is joey weaver he is mike mcdaniel mike first question how much are you interested in taking advice from jim harbaugh never never yeah well how about this advice jim harbaugh says he avoids gambling like the plague quote don't walk away from that run couldn't, find, couldn't find somebody who's more opposite of you and i <laughs> put it that way if if there's if there's something to bet on, we're putting some money on it. Um, we're all about that action, boss. I am not about having sleepovers at recruits' houses. Um, I'm not about going to football camp in Italy or like Costa Rica or wherever the hell he's been taking that team for years. That's because you're not a weirdo. Yeah, that is correct. I well, you know, I, I for all I care, I'm not a weirdo. But you know, some people might think I am. Long story short, uh, yeah, Jim Harbaugh. You and I, we disagree. I think that goes for you too, Mike. Uh, it goes for me as well, yep. Mike, uh, if if Jim Harbaugh went to uh, a certain boys weekend in North Carolina, what would his weekend consist of? Let's call it round two of Wilmington. Now, Joey, you'll mm-hmm. remember on a podcast around St. Patrick's Day weekend, mm-hmm. um, there were some shenanigans that were had uh, down in Wilmington, North Carolina with me and a few of my buddies. We made a return trip down there this past weekend. And return to the scene of the crime. Returning to the scene of the crime. Let's start with this. Uh, One of our first nights there, we go to the Wilmington Sharks amateur baseball game. Essentially, college baseball players playing summer league wood bat baseball. About 600 people there. And $2 beer night? $1 beer night. Even better. (laughs) Even better. Uh, $7 to get in. $1 to drink crappy bush light. But hey. Um, who's going to get one free beers for $2. I'll take it. Hey, yeah. What am I going to say? Um, <laughs> yeah. So $1 beer night, uh, had some Bush lights. It was phenomenal. Um, mm-hmm. we proceeded to get absolutely tanked at the baseball game. Uh, as is tradition, as is tradition. And as anybody would with $1 beer night with a bunch of buddies from high school. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's about the fourth inning and we had a girl walk up to us who worked for the Wilmington Sharks and asked us if we wanted to participate in the 50-50 raffle. And one of my buddies says, well, what's the jackpot at? She responds with, well, I mean, it's getting up there, which doesn't tell me anything when there's like 400 people at the game. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you probably three quarters of those people aren't putting money into the 50-50 jackpot. Uh, but Nevertheless, we were on vacation, so I put down literally $1, which bought me one ticket. My other buddy puts down $5, which buys him five tickets, and my other buddy gets $20 worth of tickets. Needless to say, we continue to get drunk 
it moves on to past the sixth inning into the seventh. And we're like, oh, my God, we're ready to leave. Like, this is really bad baseball we're watching. Like, we just want to go home. But the 50-50 raffle hasn't happened yet. Still waiting for the 50-50 raffle to happen. Finally, in the eighth inning, they announce, okay, it's time to announce the winner of the 50-50 raffle. The grand prize tonight, $224. To which all of us were like, oh, what the hell? That's it? Uh, and then about 30 seconds later, we won the 50-50 raffle. And you would have thought that we won the lottery. We went absolutely insane. They read out the final ticket number. We went nuts. We go ahead. We collect the money. And then literally the following night, as you'll remember in the St. Patrick's Day episode of the Basketball Conference podcast, I spoke about the shenanigans at the strip club. There was a return trip made to the strip club in which my buddy spent nearly $4,000. Uh, we walk into the strip club and the girl from St. Patrick's Day recognizes my buddy. She's up on stage dancing. Oh, no. He literally stops dancing oh, in the middle no. of the song looks at my buddy and says, oh, my God, you come over here right now and give me a hug. She oh, stopped, no. Stopped stripping to give my buddy a hug. And the first thing she says to him is, why didn't you tell me you were coming back into town? To which, oh, obviously, everybody no. bursts out laughing. Um, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely hysterical. Um, oh, my God. The owner's suite was purchased, VIP bottle service. And oh, before you know it, my buddy no. was out $4,000. <laughs> um, it was an expensive evening there at the strip club. Needless to say, uh, we made our tea time the next day. 36 holes of golf later, we shook out the cobwebs. Uh, oh, very successful man. weekend. Those were just two of the biggest highlights, Joey. And I figured I'd hit that off the top because my friends listen to this, number one. We'll get a kick out of me mentioning that. Um, number two, it was it was an awesome weekend. Uh, a lot of memories were had there, and um, we'll obviously go back to Wilmington, and who knows what'll happen for part three. Dear Lord, do you think Jim Harbaugh would approve of that weekend? I mean, he goes to Italy with his players. He sleeps over at recruits' houses, which you know, that's an interesting look. So he's a big, he's a big milk drinker. He is a big milk drinker. Um, he also can't beat Ohio State. <laughs> and can't beat Michigan State, so you might want to start there. Facts only. Facts, Facts only. only. Would uh would Larry Fedora approve of this going on in his home state? <laughs> if I'm Larry Fedora, I just stop talking. Uh, <laughs> it's usually he gets going. That's usually a bad idea. Yeah, the more that Larry Fedora talks, it seems like the less good things happen. Um, Mike, that's what we're going to use to segue into our ACC media kickoff coverage. Uh, fresh from Greensboro, North Carolina, we had the ACC media kickoff this past weekend uh, with coaches and some players from each team coming and making all sorts of uh, colorful comments about each other and about the league and their opinions on anything and everything. And we would be remiss, Mike, if we started anywhere except for the you know one and only head coach of the North Carolina Tar Heels who have not really had their their share of controversy lately thank god uh making some comments that he feels like the game of football is quote under attack uh and basically saying that one day in the near future the game is going to look different and therefore it's going to be a massive risk to the safety of our country 
That seems reasonable. Um, that's probably why we don't hear him talk very much. Yeah. Uh, if I'm North Carolina, I don't want him talking very much. Uh, yeah, no kidding. All I can say is he better back this interesting quote up with a really good season. Uh, mm-hmm. Because, you know, he makes the comments about the CTE and all that other stuff. You know, essentially the UNC president comes out and says, you know, I'm surprised by his comments. Well, how's that for a vote of confidence? Um, you're coming off of a three-win season. Uh, you make interesting comments at media day that nobody was really expecting. Uh, pressure's on Larry Fedora, in my opinion, now. I don't think it was necessarily on him before this, but you make some comments that a lot of people disagree with, and we're in the era of, you know, social media and insane, like, movements with teams. I mean, we saw it at Tennessee um, when they nearly hired Greg Schiano, and then the Twitter mob came out. And they literally had to unhire Greg Schiano from the position that Jeremy Pruitt ultimately got there at Tennessee. Um, I could see something similar at North Carolina where, you know, Larry Fedora has a bad year. The Twitter mob attacks him for his comments that he made months prior to the season. And all of a sudden he's out of a job, which would be pretty crazy considering he was one of the hottest coaching candidates on the market uh, the last few years leading up to last year before, of course, North Carolina only won three games and had all the injuries. So it would be quite the fall if that's what ends up happening. So Obviously, North Carolina fans are hoping for a bounce back here and hoping for the best, but um, off to a rocky start with the comments that he made because it obviously drew the ire of a lot of people, both on social media as well as, you know, just TV and print media in general. Like, you'd think that the media people at UNC would have prepped Larry for a couple of interviews. Like, why is your head coach going in there and talking like CTE is not a real thing in 2018? Like, he said something effective. Football does not cause CTE. And while, sure, there's maybe not a one-to-one, you know, straight-up direct link between the two, there's a lot of very strong correlations between the two in, in the most, you know, pure logical senses, right, that, man, you cannot go in there just talking about it doesn't uh, – Larry, be better. I mean, he was he was essentially just kind of. It was an uneducated opinion, um, mm-hmm. and he went down the rabbit hole and then continued down that rabbit hole. And uh, before you knew it, he was making comments about how it's you know a threat to the nation and all this other stuff. I mean, he sounded like an idiot. That's kind of just the bottom line here. Um, yeah, and that whole that whole national opinion. that whole national security bit says. He once talked to a three-star general and asked him what made the American military the best in the world. And the general told him the U S is the only country in the world that plays football. Really? Like that's so therefore, because that one general has that one opinion that may have been like a, like an exaggeration, you know, that he just figured you were going to understand. Now you're making an ass of yourself in front of the whole conference. Wow. All right. All right. There have been better looks than that. Um, yeah, so that highlighted that that wasn't even the most important thing that came out of media day, but it was the thing that grabbed the headlines the most. Um, I On second know. thought, maybe he was just trying to uh, just trying to distract. Maybe it's all just an illusion. Because there was something else that came out that wasn't really great for UNC, Mike. Let's dive right in. 
Yeah, well, uh, Larry Fedora is shooting his mouth off about how CTE and football are not connected and other uh, generally unseemly remarks. Uh, a story came out stating that UNC might be without as many as a dozen players to start the season due to secondary violations that they self-reported to the NCAA. Uh, if you had self-reported violations for UNC in your annual North Carolina sanctioned drinking game, um, mm-hmm. hopefully you're not hammered. Uh the the thing that stuck out to me in this whole story, so it, it's there was no real uh, specifics, I guess, on what the nature of these violations were. The the best that we know uh, comes from a story I saw on ESPN.com. In a statement Wednesday night, UNC athletic director Bubba Cunningham, by the way, that's that's you know all American UNC or all American athletic director name right there, Bubba Cunningham. It's up there said the NCAA has deemed the violations to be secondary in severity and that the school has, quote, taken appropriate disciplinary action. The statement did not specify the nature of that action or the violations. Mike, if you were the UNC AD, given all that's come of your, you know, your athletic program over the last couple of years and all the various scandals they've dealt with, what would you consider to be appropriate disciplinary action that you think that they probably took? Um, you're asking me to have confidence in the UNC athletic department, <laughs> for which, for which I have none. Um, anything having to do with their disciplinary system or their legal system or any of it, literally anything. Um, you're asking me to have confidence that they're making the right decisions here. Um, I mean, I, I think that quote kind of says it all. The fact that he didn't really dive into the nature of the violations or the punishment really, um, you know, obviously the report that some guys will be suspended to start the year, but really curious as to what those violations were. Um, hey, not a great look for North Carolina. We say that a good bit. Um, this is just an athletic department that's had their fair share of issues over the last few years, and it's clearly continuing, both with Larry Fedora's comments, which are on a much lesser scale than, you know, sanctions and things of that nature, um, to obviously what we're dealing with here, which, you know, reports suspensions of several of their players so it'll be interesting to see you know who the players are their importance to the roster what it means for North Carolina in the first quarter of the season because you know maybe they missed the opener maybe they missed the first two games maybe they missed the first three or four games we're just gonna have to see and um, see a who those players are and b what kind of impact that has on the early part of North Carolina season which could mean a lot to both their bowl aspirations and you know their hopes of you know, making a move up the, up the ladder there in the ACC Coastal this year. If you're – now put yourself back in Bubba Cunningham's shoes. Amazing. Right? You're sitting here – yeah, this is great. Um, you're sitting here listening to Fedora shoot his mouth off about CTE and not being really worried about it. You're sitting here dealing with some uh, continued recruiting violations after your program has been under the NCAA's microscope for two years. All this is going on. Is this – Helping Larry Fedora's chances at keeping his job? Here? I don't think. Uh, no. No. Obviously not. Like, <laughs> what do y'all do in UNC? Like, this is this is turning into a, a, a circus. This was the most important news that came out of North Carolina's portion of the ACC kickoff. And the one that grabbed the headlines was, irresponsible quotes about CTE from Larry Fedora. But the most important thing that happened, in my opinion, at ACC Media Days for North Carolina was was this. Um, this came out literally a day after 
Larry Fedora makes the comments, you know, it's announced that, you know, well, not officially announced, but there's, of course, reports that several players are going to be suspended for North Carolina to start the season. That's the most important thing that comes out of the media, media days um, events for North Carolina, in my opinion. And it didn't really grab as many headlines as I thought it would. Um, I, I thought there would be more press to it. I think part of that's because Larry Fedora stole the show. But I think if Larry Fedora doesn't say what he says, this is a much bigger story than than it is. Um, mm-hmm. And especially considering the fact that North Carolina's had these issues now for the last few years, both with their football and basketball programs, um, with academic um, issues with with various athletes uh, across their sports. Um, I thought this would be a much bigger story than it ended up being, but I think it was just happened to be because, you know, Larry Fedora stole the show on day one of media days there for North Carolina. But that wasn't the most important thing that happened for the Tar Heels there. Yeah, not a good look. Not a good look. Um, so meanwhile, Mike, there was other nonsense going on at ACC, uh, ACC media days or the ACC kickoff, as it were. Uh, there were some other fun quotes that I think we're going to talk through here a little bit. Um, probably none quite so polarizing and um, attention-grabbing as what Larry Fedora said, but we got another quote out of your boy Bronco Mendenhall over at Virginia. Um, Bronco made the comment uh, – he, he spent a lot of time at, at the uh, the kickoff event – talking about how important to his program it is that they beat Virginia Tech, which they haven't done in 15 years or something like that. Um, and, and he kind of brought this up in two different lights, um, one of which was him saying Virginia Tech has been to 25 straight bowl games, and that's the longest streak in the country. Sound the alarm, Seminoles fans. Why are we sounding the alarm, Mike? Because that means that Florida State does not have the longest bowl streak in the country. It's Virginia Tech, according to Bronco Mendenhall. Raise your hand if you have a guess as to who was triggered by those comments, Joey. Uh, would that be FSU Twitter? That would be FSU Twitter. Extremely triggered. Of course, Bronco Mendenhall referencing the fact that Florida State had one of those bowl victories or bowl appearances, rather, uh, revoked uh, due to their own sanctions. Uh, but Florida State, of course, still acknowledges the fact that they have the longest bowl streak in the country, but not according to Bronco Mendenhall, because, of course, one of those appearances has since been revoked. Uh, FSU Twitter went up into a frenzy even more than Virginia Tech Twitter, who, as a member of Virginia Tech Twitter, being a Virginia Tech fan and alum, um, you know, Hokies Twitter gets triggered very easily. Um, they were not nearly as triggered as Florida State Twitter, and I would tell you if they were otherwise. Um Florida State fans went nuts over the Bronco Mendenhall quote. Completely inconsequential because Virginia can't beat Florida State. <laughs> so it's completely inconsequential. Um, but everybody got extremely butthurt about it. I mean, I don't know mm-hmm. what else to really say. But Bronco Mendenhall, excellent troll job. If that was your intention, if it wasn't, it was still hilarious because everybody was up in arms over it. I will say Mendenhall is, by all accounts, kind of a weird dude for lack of a better term. I mean, and he went all the way across the country to coach Virginia. I, I mean, yeah, weird dude. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, if you hear some of the, some of the um, behind the scenes stuff that goes on with, you know, the programs that he runs, it's just, it's very different. There's a lot of, you know, like he's got his own like personal library that he loans a bunch of books out to his players and stuff. And I'm all for literacy with the players. That's great. It's just that, you don't hear a lot of that going on with a lot of coaches. You know, he's just, I think he's a bit of an odd dude. And so I was going to say, I wouldn't even be shocked if he wasn't 
trying to take a shot or, or you know trying to you know get Florida State all worried or whatever. Like he he just like is going straight off the record books and saying nope says that Florida State didn't make a bowl that year so they didn't. Yes, like he might fully believe that you know we're just not going to acknowledge Florida State's bowl streak. I I don't know. So it's amazing stuff. That's pretty fantastic. Um, Mendenhall took it a little further, and this uh, this came from the dailypress.com, um, talking about some of the, the information that came to light about uh, Mendenhall's UVA program, and particularly their uh, emphasis on beating Virginia Tech. Uh, from, again, from the dailypress.com, to get his players thinking about the possibility of a landmark win over rival Virginia Tech, Mendenhall has them looking ahead uh, to the game that doesn't even take place until Thanksgiving weekend. Mendenhall has placed signs all around UVA's football facility reading Beat Tech and Own the State. Quote, all I'm trying to do is add emphasis, Mendenhall said this week at the ACC kickoff media event. Quote, and adding emphasis means that the UVA football program needs to play better under my leadership and have more success in that game to help not only the football program, but the institution. And quite frankly, the alumni would have would have their hearts recaptured about our program. I got to say, Mike, that is that is a lot of raising the stakes in a game that your team has not won in 15 years. That is dangerous. Yeah. I get all that. They have literally 11 games before they play Virginia tech. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. I I get what you're trying to do, but I think you're going about it all wrong. Um, I guess it's an important game. It's a rivalry game, but it's a one-sided rivalry. Virginia tech. I, I mean, I think the players still see it as a rivalry, but the fans at this point are just like, all right, well, I mean, we're playing UVA. Um, They've literally become immune to that game because even in the worst years of Virginia Tech football in the last 15 years, they still beat UVA, right? Um, It was an ugly win this past year. Uh, The one I'm thinking about is when I was actually a freshman in college, um, or a sophomore in college, rather. Um, The Hokies were having a pretty rough year coming off of an ACC championship appearance in 2011. 2012 was a tough season for them, and UVA was having their best season in like at least 8 to 10 years. Um, they were having a really successful year, and the Hokies went to Charlottesville and absolutely stomped UVA. <laughs> um, it, that's that was probably UVA's best chance to win the game, uh, win the rivalry game in all the last 15 years, and they weren't able to do it. And I think Hokies fans kind of know, like even if they their team has like an off year and they haven't played great football, they're still probably going to win the rivalry game at the end of the year. I mean, two out of the last five years or six years, two out of the last six years, maybe the Hokies won the final game of the year against UVA in the rivalry game just to get bowl eligibility. So I, you know, as pressure packed as those games were um, for the Hokies going into it, they still had no problem handling their business. So I think at this point, you know, Hokies fans and the Hokies players, it's not as big of a game or as big of a rivalry game as it used to be. I think the Hokies are on to bigger and better things, trying to beat a team like Florida state or Notre Dame or Miami in the bigger games of the year, rather than worrying about UVA at the end. It just, in a weird way, Mike, it, it, as much as coaches are going to be judged by their fan bases by how they do in rivalry games and this, that, and the other, this is a situation where if I am the head coach at Virginia talking about a program that we haven't beaten in that long, it's like I'm trying to downplay it as much as possible, right? Like I'm talking about how my season is not defined by one game and we, you know, we've got a lot of other goals on the table and this kind of thing, like – Stop sitting here acting like the only thing that's important is beating a team that you can't beat. Like you had the best shot you've had in a long time last year and you couldn't score a point at home. Like 
I, I just don't get it, Mike. You realize that the last time that Virginia beat Virginia Tech, shortly after the founding of MySpace, yeah, what was, on, yes. what was on your MySpace the last time that Virginia Tech lost to Virginia, Mike? We have to go back in time and take a look. Um, My goodness, it's yeah. I mean, it's it's getting to the point where it's going to be of historic proportion when UVA ultimately beats Virginia tech, whenever that is, maybe I'll be 40, maybe it'll be this year. I mean, who knows? Um, I think Virginia tech's going to have a, a down year by their standards, at least if this off season is any indication, but even so, I mean, I don't think Hokies fans should be worried about a rivalry game with UVA who, um, you know, let's be honest, they're going to have trouble fielding a fielding a good team. I mean, Bronco Mendenhall said it himself. He said, what, they only have like 22 ACC caliber players. It's like, yeah, you're, 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 you're going to talk about that. But then on the other side of your mouth, you're going to talk about how important it is to beat Virginia Tech, who's literally owning the state of Virginia, owning the state of North Carolina on the recruiting trail um, and leaving UVA in the dust. So Mendenhall is talking out of both sides of his mouth here. I think part of it is the season's getting a little bit closer, so he wants his players to be motivated. I mean, I get it, but I think he's going about it all wrong. I, I agree. I, I don't understand. Mike, we would be um, we would be approaching this the wrong way if we didn't also bring up a quote that your, your Hokies, Justin Fuente, made. Uh, this one stuck out to me again from the Daily Press. Uh, Fuente says, I like our developmental model in our program in all the areas of our kids' lives. From their academic development to their social development, their spiritual development, their athletic development. And Mike, my only question to you is, what are your feelings on the spiritual development going on at the Hokies locker room right now? Yeah, Hokies fans, raise your hand if you're cool with the development of the players both on the field and off the field. When we've had literally a record number of players dismissed, we've had um, a number of players who were ruled academically ineligible. We had a guy arrested for intent to distribute. He was a you know, moving into his fourth year as a starter on defense in the secondary and Mook Reynolds. He's no longer part of the fold. Uh, Hokies have lost two recruits this week in football um, who have decided that they're not going to be members of the 2019 recruiting class anymore. That's just a small sampling of what has happened. And then you take into account the Josh Jackson academic issue that nearly had him kicked off the team. Um, and you're looking at an offseason that you know, really couldn't get much worse for Virginia Tech. But then Justin Fuente comes out and says that at media days, uh, it's a it's a tough look. Um, he did come out in support of Adonis Alexander, saying he dug himself into too big of a hole academically, but he did all he could to to dig himself out of it, which and, and that he was proud of him for doing that. How about not getting yourself into the hole to begin with um, and not getting yourself kicked off the team and thus not having to enter the NFL supplemental draft a year before you probably should? Um, you know, there are a number of things going on around the Virginia Tech football program right now that I think a lot of fans aren't too happy with. It's been a really rough off season. I think fans are going to be disappointed by the results on the field this fall. Um, I'd be very surprised if the Hokies play as well as a lot of people are expecting them to, given that they don't have nearly the depth on defense that they had a year ago. They're replacing a lot of starters there and they're replacing key contributors on offense. And they have Justin Fuente. Uh, coming out with this quote after a really rough offseason. It's good to see him support his guys, right? I, I mean, we could say the same about Bronco Mendenhall a couple moments ago, um, but I don't think it's going to sit well with a lot of Virginia Tech fans that are kind of looking at the program objectively and wondering kind of what the hell happened this uh, this past summer because it's been a really, really rough offseason for Virginia Tech and fall camp can't come soon enough. 
Mike, if you were just just hypothetically speaking, if you're a Virginia Tech fan right now, can the season get here quick enough? It literally can't get here quick enough. Um, and that's not to say that the Hokies don't have a brutal schedule. Um, this is the toughest schedule they've had in quite some time. Georgia Tech's going to be better. Joey just talking about the Coastal Division. They're going to be better. Miami's fielding their best team that they've had in probably 15 years. Uh, they play Notre Dame, who's going to be a fringe college football playoff contender, in my opinion. And then you've got Florida State in the opener, which is a big wild card, but they should be pretty good. Uh, it's a tough schedule for Virginia Tech. And when you have all these defections on defense and all these issues off the field, you literally just got to get yourself to fall camp and, and be as prepared as you can in the opener and dive right in and see what happens. Yeah, I, I mean, again, not been the best of off seasons in Blacksburg. And that's kind of been an ongoing theory. I, I saw a, a tweet the other day that was like, has there been any good news that's come out of Virginia Tech this off season? And I was like, we found out that Josh Jackson actually isn't being kicked off the team. That's that's good news, right? Like, what else? <laughs> I mean, what else is there? Um, that was more about uh, just kind of uh, rectifying previous bad news. Like, yeah, it's like a sigh of relief. It's like, oh, good, all right. Well, at least he's back. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, and then you even go back to like Galen Scott, <laughs> Virginia Tech's uh, second one, Virginia Tech's. Uh, defensive coaches uh, being kicked off, essentially kicked off the coaching staff for uh, cheating on his wife during recruiting trips. Uh, it's just, it's been a mess. That was only the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, it has been a total mess. Mike, uh, there was a quote, and I'm going to bring this up reluctantly because I, I don't think this is a, um, I, I barely believe that this is a discussion worthy topic, but I was walking around at work today, and we have some TVs on in our in our office in our main bullpen, and um, one of them is pretty permanently on ESPN, and they were showing the the epitome of all culture. It was first take. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with the. Oh, excellent! Uh, yeah, uh, that is the the peak of all television content right there, and they brought up a quote that uh, Georgia Tech's Paul Johnson made at the ACC kickoff. Paul Johnson, talking about Clemson, said, quote, it's always a challenge. They've got great players. Dabo does a great does a good job. They're tough to play, but they're not invincible. Mike, is that a is that a meaningful, um, you know, fighting words kind of quote to you if it's coming from Paul Johnson? Uh, no, I mean, it's another guy trying to motivate his players. Um, with that being said, I think Clemson will beat Georgia Tech by three touchdowns. So I don't know, like, how consequential or inconsequential the quote is i don't think it really matters if that makes sense like i don't doesn't really move the needle for me it's like okay well he thinks he has a chance against clemson good for him he should right like i don't i don't know what are you gonna tell your players you have no chance like i mean that's kind of what you have to say as a coach i mean if you're if you're waiting on someone to tell you that, that georgia tech's not gonna lose that game by at least three touchdowns you're gonna have to keep waiting because I'm, exactly. I'm not gonna tell you that <laughs> yeah uh what, I, mean, I mean, Paul Johnson's just a guy who who calls it what it is. You know, I think he he is the the anti media guy, where a lot of media folks tend to want to sensationalize stuff and really blow stuff out of proportion. People want to act like Clemson hung the moon and they're going to win every game forty nine nothing. You know, and like all this stuff. And I think all he's saying is like, there's still a bunch of eighteen to twenty two year old kids, you know, with a a pointy round ball that's going to bounce in weird ways and that lost to Clemson last year, you know, or lost to Syracuse last year. Like it's just, 
they can be really good and they can, you know, be the team that's the favorite to win the national title and all that. But at the end of the day, it's still college football. And part of the reason we love it is because things don't always turn out exactly how you plan on them turning out. Prime example, two years ago, um, there wasn't, I, I mean, there were a few media people who picked Alabama um, to win the national championship two years ago. Um, Clemson was a pretty significant favorite to win the national championship and they lost at home to Pittsburgh to Nate Peterman. Mm -hmm. um, it happens in college mm -hmm. football. Ultimately it doesn't matter because Clemson wins the title that year. They beat Alabama um, in, in, you know, the rematch, but I mean, that's the prime example, you know, um, no team in college football is absolutely unbeatable. Think about Alabama, Alabama. It's gotta be what five years ago now since the kick six, <laughs> they're playing against Auburn. Alabama's got a phenomenal roster, phenomenal team. Um, they get in a rivalry game at the end of the year against Auburn, and Chris Davis returns a field goal and runs it back. What was it, 106 yards for a touchdown uh, to beat Alabama? Um, no team is unbeatable, no matter you know what the odds tell you. Uh, with that being said, I'd be hard pressed to find a game this year on Clemson's schedule where they're not going to be uh, favored by at least a touchdown. Um, I, I don't think there's going to be a game on their entire schedule where it's like, Oh, well, it's a toss up. <laughs> I think Clemson's going to be heavy favorites in every game they play this year. Um, obviously the odds on favorite to win the ACC and they're a team that's going to be a heavy hitter and a team that's going to compete in the college football playoff. Uh, but with that being said, saying that they're, you know, not unbeatable is not a problem. That's all. That's all it is. If, if he's just saying, let's not act like you might as well not even play the games. Right. Fine with me. I don't remember the last time that Clemson wasn't favored in a game, except maybe the Sugar Bowl last year that they, they got beat in. But there have been games that they've been favored in and they've lost. And that happens to any college football team at some point or another. So that's, that's all. These guys don't make any more of it than you have to. They're kids. Yeah. Yeah. They lost to Syracuse weird, last you know. year. They lost to Syracuse. Yeah. Syracuse yeah. was terrible last year and they lost. Injuries happen. It's a weird shaped ball. There's kids that sometimes are going to behave in very unpredictable ways. Like they'll do stupid oh. things. That's why everybody bets on college football. Cause you never know what's going to end up happening. Uh, anytime you bet on kids playing a sport, you never know what'll happen. They can do something extremely stupid that completely changes the course of bets everywhere. Um, yeah. Yeah. I just, I don't know. Not a big deal. It's simultaneously the thing that we all love and also sometimes hate about college football. So for Thank what you. that's worth, Mike, probably the most like actually meaningful content that came out of the entire weekend. I sh we should probably bring this up while we wrap up the uh, ACC kickoff. John Swafford was talking about the state of the ACC network saying things are all, um, all on, on track and ready to go. You know, things are going to be starting up for actual programming, uh, in August of 2019. So we got about a year to go before that TV network actually launches. But part of the discussion was about what, what's the content on the ACC network going to look like. Um, and, and one of the things that were pointed out, uh, this again from the Daily Press, Swafford cemented Wednesday that the ACC will stage multiple league games to start next football season. He did not reveal the matchups, but based on non-conference contracts already in place, the most likely candidates are Virginia Tech, Boston College, Georgia Tech, Clemson, Pittsburgh, and either Syracuse or Virginia. So long story short, we're looking at a, a decently stacked opening weekend of ACC you know, conference games next year. Um, 
I think that's great as a TV product, and it'll do really well to promote the the network itself and the launch, and kind of in the same way that the ACC network did a few years ago. But Mike, I guess the other point to this is, how do you feel about Week One conference games? You know, more so than just the uh, the promotional, you know, Florida State Virginia Tech game or something like that. You know, if we're sitting here putting together a three or four game conference slate Week One, are you a fan of that? Yeah, I think I'm a fan of that. Um... Why not jump right in? I mean, games are meaningful from the jump, right? I mean, what's wrong with that? Uh, yeah, I'm in favor. There's nothing wrong with that for me. Um, you know, I don't like watching Virginia Tech play freaking App State or Austin Pay or, you know, God knows who else. Austin P, Mike. Austin P, sorry. Um, yeah, all the kids want you to sh- uh, show them your penis. Yes. As it were. <laughs> they do. Um, <laughs> yes. We'll leave that there. Please continue. Um, yes, I will. Uh, long story short, I don't care about these non-conference games where you know the home team is favored by 55 points. So if we're going to jump right into a million conference games just for the TV rights, like let's do it. I don't care. Like let's go right in. I'm good with that. Um, the the real encouraging thing about this is that despite all the issues that ESPN has had over the last I don't know five or so years, they're still on track with this launch um, for next year, like they have said all along, which is great um, because they've had issues kind of across the board you know, keeping media personalities and, you know, essentially keeping their shows on television. Uh, but they're going to be able to still launch this network, it looks like, and at least it's on track as of right now, which is, you know, pretty good news considering everything else has happened there. Yeah, it's, it's, I think I like it. You know, we're talking about breaking up a weekend that has, you know, a few headliner games and then a whole bunch of just warm up, um, you know, little uh, FCS competition, you know, like gimme games, right? Um, and so if you can add, you know, some of your own content to that weekend to be uh, to, to be interesting and standout kind of games, I think that's a good thing for the league. Um, I think the biggest drawback to it, if anything, maybe is, A, sometimes you're going to be missing players because of off-season suspensions, or B, maybe even as a result of A, you're going to have a couple of games that turn out really wonky because teams aren't really in gear yet. And so, again, depending on if you consider that a good thing or a bad thing is maybe up to your personal preference and whether or not you bet on games and that kind of thing. But I think the worst case scenario is you end up with someone like a Clemson playing, I don't know, take your pick of any of those teams, and just not really being – ready to play, losing a game, and then losing at some other point during the season, and that ultimately costing them a playoff berth, right, to where then the ACC does not have a playoff team at all. Um, I I think that that is maybe the the only, you know, really worst-case scenario that you're talking about that weekend. But, I mean, at the the cost of getting, you know, exposure to your product and uh, and kind of advertising what you got, I I don't know that that's necessarily something really to worry about that, that much, if we're being honest. Yeah, I mean, if Clemson's talented enough, they'll be ready to play. Sure. Um, I mean, anything can happen in the opening weekend. We only know as much as we think we know heading into yeah. week one. But, you know, this year's a prime example. I mean, look how talented Clemson is, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they have literally more talent than almost any team in the entire country. So it doesn't really matter who they line up against in week one, short of maybe Alabama. Um, they're going to be a favorite. So it's mm-hmm. it's one of the it's one of those things. Like, it's a catch-22. I completely understand your point. Um, but I think ultimately at the end of the day, when you have, um, teams that are really talented, getting ready to play in week one, um, you know, 
they should be ready to go. And if they lose, they lose. But like you said, I don't think it's enough to worry about to where you're, you know, you're sacrificing a product that on a network that you've been trying to put together for five years. Um, so I'm, I'm with you in that regard. I guess if you want to look to a conference that intentionally schedules games for the sake of, of getting results, you can look at the SEC and what they do with what, what a lot of people refer to as SOCON Saturday, which is the Saturday before Thanksgiving when, you know, a bunch of teams are lining up to go play their rivalry games. You know, Auburn and Alabama are that weekend, Georgia Tech, Georgia, Florida State, Florida, you know, and on and on and on. The weekend before, they put a bunch of cupcake games in there to rest players and not risk losing something that late in the season, you know. So there is something to be said for scheduling games intentionally as a conference. Um, but ultimately, I mean, I, I don't think it's that big of a deal here. So probably uh, probably much more of a uh, much more of a net win than a net loss if we had to if we had to agree on something ultimately. Yep, definitely. Mike, we got media polls released. We got Thoughts on who is going to win each division? Womp. Do you? Yeah. Do you have thoughts? Let's just look. Instead of going through what the media says, what if we just do our own? How about I think that? We just do our own because these to me matter as much as like the watch list. Like we're in watch list season now, too. This and, is true. And players can win an award at the end of the year without being on a watch list. So what's the point of making a watch list? Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, whatever you want to go, we should go top to bottom. You want to go top to bottom, coastal and Atlantic, just right yeah, now. Let's go division by division. We're not even looking at schedules, right? So we'll get into the season previews with everybody, and these might be subject to change after we like look at the schedules and look at the games. But let's just go like top to bottom and just take a guess in each division. Sure. You want to start with the Atlantic? I'll start with the Atlantic. Um, Clemson's first surprise for me. This <clears> is my. <throat> this is my. This, this is my voting. Did you hear my gasp? I know. It's yeah. sh- I know it's shocking. Um, I'll go Clemson, Florida State, Boston College, NC State, Louisville, Wake, Syracuse. Damn it, Mike. I thought I was being contrarian. So, therefore, uh, I'm going to just for the sake of being different, I'm going to, oh, God, I hate this pick. Uh, I'll go Clemson, Florida State. Oh, man. Clemson and Florida State at the top. Well, yeah, I'm yeah. going real risky there. You know what? I'm just going to I'm going to just try to be different here. I'm going to go NC State 3, which is what the media has. Boston College 4, what the media has. Louisville Wake Syracuse. Um I am I am on that Louisville fifth place train. Um I saw a tweet from Stuart Mandel earlier that was basically saying there's no way that Bobby Petrino finishes fifth and I I'm not so sure that there's not. So just for what that's worth, yeah. yeah same. I mean, Louisville's losing Lamar Jackson, but at the end of the day, like Wake Forest is losing literally their entire offense and John Wolford from last year. And Syracuse has given me no reason to believe, short of a Clemson upset, that they're ready to do anything in the ACC Atlantic. So um, how is Louisville not going to finish fifth? Um, it would be a surprise if they finished worse than that, in my opinion. Oh, I think the thought is that, oh, he'll clearly finish better than that. And I don't have a lot of reason to think that that'll happen either. Yeah, so. I- I don't. I think fifth. I think, I think fifth is both the ceiling and the floor for Louisville. I'm just not confident they'll do anything else. I'm gonna go fourth as the ceiling. I think there's a chance they could finish fourth in the Atlantic if they just end up being better than I think they will. But I mean, the way that they lost to Boston College at home last year, I don't see them winning on the road this year for no. what it's worth. So, no. uh, yeah, Clemson, Florida State, NC State, Boston College, Louisville, Wake Forest, Syracuse is my pick in the Atlantic. Uh, 
Mike the Coastal, you want me to go first or you want to go first? Uh, you can go first this time. All right. Uh, Miami, obviously, to win the, win the division. I think we're, we're talking about a uh, rematch of Clemson and Miami in Charlotte, for better or worse. I don't, I don't love it, but, you know, it is what it is. Number two, I'm going to put my Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets, Mike. Okay. I've got Georgia Tech at number two. I'm going to put Duke at number three, Virginia Tech four, Pitt, North Carolina, Virginia, five through seven, respectively. Um, I think I'm going pretty much chalk. I think I'm going to go Miami. I think Virginia Tech and Georgia Tech finished with the same conference record, but I think Virginia Tech wins the game at home in the head-to-head matchup. So I have Virginia mm-hmm. Tech second. I have Georgia Tech third. Um, I'll go... It's hard for me to do this coming off of what we just talked about earlier with the sanctions. I'm actually going to go with North Carolina number four, and then I go. Oh, wow. I'm going to go North Carolina four, Duke, Pitt, and UVA. Okay, all right. Pretty close to pretty close to chalk. I just I moved North Carolina. I basically just flip flop North Carolina and Duke. We'll get here in the previews, but man, I am. The more that I think about it, the more that I'm kind of souring on Virginia Tech. And I think this is also a bad year to be rebuilding the defense when your permanent cross-division rival is Boston College. No no arguments here. Um, (laughs) No arguments here. Uh, There's there's five or six losable games on Virginia Tech's schedule as I look at it now. I'm just kind of, you know, part of it is just hoping it's not as bad as it is. Um, But the other part of it is, well, they might just go six and six. Right. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm not getting the warm fuzzies, but I, I think there's probably plenty of upside with the talent they've got and getting their quarterback back and all that. Um, I'm just, I'm not loving it right now, Mike. Not loving. I'm it. fair, and and my thing too is like I think Georgia Tech's going to be really good, and I, mm-hmm. you know, I know you think that because you're, I mean, you're a Georgia Tech fan, right? And mm-hmm. you know, we're not homers. We're, I mean, I like to think we're pretty objective. You know, mm-hmm. Miami fans will laugh at us and think we're not, but we are. Um, I mean, I just said I thought Virginia Tech could lose six games. I mean, I think that's legit. Um, I think Georgia Tech's going to be really good, and a lot of people so. might a lot of people might not think that. But like, you look at the way they gave away games last year, and it was basically an overhaul with the defensive coaching staff, and they're returning a lot of production on offense. Like, there's a lot to like there. I don't want to jinx it for you, but there's a lot to like there with that Georgia Tech roster. I, I'd like to think so. I'm starting to wonder if you're trying to put a subtle curse on Georgia Tech here. You're no, playing the I mean, uh, the Jedi mind tricks. I'd be I'd be right out with it. You know me. That's I fair. think they'd be better. I still I still pick Virginia Tech to finish second. Yeah, that's true. Now. Just now, but I mean, we'll see. yeah, I'm going to stick with Georgia Tech at two. Um, I think they are going to surprise some people, um, and I'm. I guess maybe more so than high on Georgia Tech. I, I'm really questioning. I've got serious questions about basically every other team in the coastal division. That's that's the thing that makes me think that they'll finish where they will. Plus, for reasons beyond my explanation, my ability to explain it, Justin Fuente hasn't beaten Georgia Tech the last two years. Um, so, I mean, two years ago was the uh, probably the biggest bet I've ever lost. You know, when I got intel three hours before the game that Georgia Tech is going to be missing their center and their quarterback and their B back, and I was like. Virginia Tech, a 14-point favorite, that's it? I'll take that. And they lost. So I was there's, some sort of, yeah, there's some sort of weird voodoo, something going on in that matchup with Georgia Tech and uh, Justin Fuente, but I don't know. Anyways, we'll, we'll get to those in the actual previews. But 
So we've got Clemson and Miami as a rematch in Charlotte. Is that I think we pretty much agree on that? Yep, Clemson over Miami by two touchdowns, probably. I don't I mean it'll be a little bit more competitive than last year, maybe. Yeah. Probably better or worse. Though. Mostly worse. Anybody believe in Malik Rozier? Mm, no. Any any takers? Because I still no. don't. No. I don't I don't think anybody does. I don't think Cam does. Cam's Cam been all over Twitter. Cam definitely he won't name names, but he'll number he'll name numbers. <laughs> Cam Cam definitely does not. He's not about it, but he yeah. knows that that's kind of what he's dealing with. So I think he's got to kind of talk himself into it, which he yeah. has said on this podcast before. He said he has to talk himself into it. Um, that is fair. We'll probably have him on talk Miami. Um, Mike, I think a normal topic that you typically discuss in division favorites is who's the starting quarterback going to be. Yes. Yes. That's typically not something that's very clear or, or well decided. So. Uh, what we're going to talk about here, odds to win the Clemson starting quarterback job. Mike, who's who's the favorite? Who's going to start a quarterback for Clemson? Kelly Bryant. I'll give it to you at plus 130. Kelly Bryant. Would, would you rather have Kelly Bryant plus 130 or Trevor Lawrence plus 160? Or Hunter Johnson with his third best odds not even being on the roster anymore. Mike, if you had to rank like how how the odds would compare, you know, the chances that Hunter Johnson is starting at quarterback for Clemson or the odds that you are starting at quarterback for Clemson, like how would those compare in your mind? I like my chances. Okay, um, yeah. I won't put a number to it, but I like my chances because he's not on the Clemson roster either. Um, that is correct. But he's still the third he's still the the third best favorite, right? To to start a quarterback even though he literally transferred to Northwestern. Yeah, so if you saw that, what was it, friggin' Kylie Jenner GoFundMe or whatever to make her a billionaire, and uh, and you just felt like that was a good thing to spend money on. Oh, no. That might be a better thing to spend money on than Hunter Johnson plus 510 to be Clemson's starting quarterback. He is currently at Northwestern. Yes, and they're still accepting bets on him at plus 510 to be the Clemson's starting quarterback, which makes no shred of sense uh, that that hasn't been shut down yet. Yeah, that's a whole thing. Yeah. By the way, Chase Bryce, eight plus eight twenty. That would be uh eight point two to one. Yes. Um, I will not be taking that bet. Uh I think Kelly John Kelly Johnson. I think Kelly Bryant and Trevor Lawrence split time. Uh Kelly Bryant's a starter at the outset because he's got the experience. I don't I don't care. They're so good. Who cares? Mike, are the odds better that Hunter Johnson starts at quarterback or that former MLB second and third baseman and sometimes left fielder and pinch hitter and whatever, Kelly Johnson, starts at quarterback for Clemson? I like Kelly Johnson's chances. That's true. That's true. I don't know what he's doing these days. He might not. I think he's out of the league. He's probably retired by now. Yeah, I'm sure. He's like John McDonald. Want go down like we can go down a whole baseball talk if you want. Just oh, dear. That. Um, About that time. Yeah, we, we didn't do that all summer. We should have. Yeah, I know. Mike, who's starting a quarterback for Florida State? Francois. Would you believe me if I told you he's not the favorite? I know he's not the favorite. That that drives me crazy. I don't understand that. DeAndre Francois plus one thirty. James Blackman minus one twenty. That is a uh, he is getting you know getting uh, you know less than one to one odds. That's crazy to me. I, am I missing something here? Francois's better at like everything. Yeah. <laughs> like except for like <laughs> height competitions. Yeah. Blackman's taller, but DeAndre's faster and stronger and reads the field better and like all this stuff. I don't get it, Mike. Maybe 
The only thing I, I was thinking about this, the only thing that I could come up with as to why DeAndre Francois would be um, worse odds to start than James Blackman is if we're sitting here and thinking that there is some sort of like residual injury, something that's going to keep him from starting the year. That's the best I got. That or that drug thing that was kind of randomly out there. That's a good point. That's a good point. That's that's the other thing that's kind of lingering. That's kind of gone away. So I, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, short of that, like I think Francois is better. I mean, maybe Blackman takes snaps in the first game and he ultimately wins the bet. But like, if they want to do anything this year, I, th- I think DeAndre Francois is the guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's nothing I saw at James Blackman last year. It made me think like this guy is really, really good. I thought he was raw and like had some athletic ability, but like Francois got athletic ability and he's like a good player, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. and he had some success. And then, of course, got hurt last year in the Alabama game in the opener. We never really saw like the next step taken. Um, So, I mean, if he's healthy and he's out of legal trouble, I'd love to see him get another shot because I think he's got the talent. I think so. I think he can be really good. I probably, by the way, the best comment I think I saw James Blackman minus one twenty. Uh, Seth White's replies to Barrett Salee's tweet listing all these odds. Seth White says, "You sure that's not Blackman's weight?" Yeah, yeah, at minus one twenty. Um, and I agree because James agree. Blackman, not uh, not the most stout individual playing quarterback. Let's just call him lanky. Lanky is probably a good word for it. Yeah. Um, good, good length on him. If we're yes. talking about like point guards and stuff. Right. Is, is he a, a three and D guy? Do you think he's a big time three and D guy? Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. He's, he's, he's three step drop and throw to the D. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's his thing. I mean, that was his thing last year. So. Got him. Yeah. Got him. Yeah. <sighs> Mike, I think that's all I got. I need to go be a a single parent to my dog. Okay. I mean, do that. (laughs) Do that. Yeah. Wife has been out of town. Yeah. She is at the beach right now, um, living her best life. I am living my best life trying to parent this dog who um, likes trying to go find whatever rodents run around our backyard. So she's being very insistent. So, um, we probably need to wrap this up unless we got anything pressing to talk about. I don't think so. We got to do season previews. Kind of Hell yeah, we do. Those are going to be coming up very, very soon. We're going to be trying to bring some guests on like we did last year. Should be a lot of fun. Um, I, I am looking forward to seeing what we can find out from some of these folks who are, you know, more knowledgeable about the details of these teams than we are. So um, we will be doing that here over the next few weeks. Um, Mike, anything else that we need to let the people know about before we uh, head on out of here? I think we're covered. I think we covered it. We got a lot of uh, yeah, a lot of good ACC kickoff talk here tonight. Um, lots of uh, shenanigans going on, and uh, I'm glad we were able to hit on them. But anyways, we're going to head out of here. Uh, until the next time that we are on, you guys can reach us on Twitter. I am at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel CFB, and together we are at BC Podcast ACC. You can send us an email to the longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. You nailed it. Sir. Yes. Yes. I'm on a hot streak with those. I, I've been getting them pretty good lately. Uh, Mike, they can find us on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, the Overcast app, and wherever fine podcasts are sold. Uh, and Mike, tell them where they can find us on the social medias. Facebook. Facebook.com slash basketball conference. Rate, review, find all of our podcasts there, Joey. 
Hell yeah. Rate us on iTunes and on good, all those places. Go find us. Go rate us. Share us with your friends. You know, it's it's about time for football season. If you know some uh, ACC fanatics out there, go hit them up and let them know that where we are. Um, we got this stuff on YouTube, too, if you want to go find us. Basketball conference on YouTube. Um, I, if, you know, I don't know why you want to look at our backgrounds, but if you want to see my dog's tail wagging in the background, you can you know, you can always come in uh, and check that out. But in any case, uh, Mike, this has been fun. You want to come back and start previewing some teams soon? Yeah, we have to. I mean, we literally have no choice. Absolutely. It's, it's time for the rubber to hit the road. So we will be back shortly with some team previews. Uh, and that is a uh, that is a, a basketball conference guarantee right there. The, the finest of all guarantees. The finest. Only the finest. Mike, we'll talk soon. Yep. All right. Well, until next time, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. And until then, go ACC. Go ACC.